If you've got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 10. I want to read a very familiar scripture and talk just a little bit tonight. And uh, on this thought about what we do in our service for Christ, there is a cause. There's, there's a reason why we do what we do. There's, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a heaven to gain, right? We have a hell to shun. We have souls that's walking and living among us that we need to tell them about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We need to share the message that we have. We need to give them the good news that we have concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Very familiar scripture. It's, uh, it's one that, um, that is not, uh, I don't want to, you to look at this as a, as a gloom and doom sermon, but as somewhat of an of a encouragement warning. Is that possible? Can you do an encouragement warning? I don't know if you can do that, but this is what I hope that you can get out of this tonight. John 10 and 10 says this, Jesus speaking, The thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I don't know about you, but when you read this text, and as I said, this is a very familiar, very familiar scripture that, that you've heard all of your life, probably. Uh, but uh, this is probably, I would consider this probably one of the most powerful verses in the scriptures. Now, there's a lot of powerful verses, but, but when, you, when you really dissect this, this one verse here, it's about probably one of the most powerful verses in the scripture. Jesus talking to his disciples. He's warning his disciples. And he's, he's telling these guys, guys, I want you to understand something. The thief cometh not but for to kill and to steal and destroy. And we all know who the thief is, right? It's the devil. It's, it's the old slewfoot. It's the enemy that, that works against us all the time, that tries to bring us down, that tries to trip us up, if you will, very often. And whether you have forgotten this, you know, when I was growing up, we used to hear this all the time. And you know, folks used to preach on hell. They don't, they don't do a lot of preaching on hell anymore. But, but I used to remember, and see if you, you, you know this, when I was sitting on the pew, I almost could feel the heat of hell when some of these evangelists would come by and they would preach on hell. You, you almost could feel uh, the, uh, the heat that was, that was coming forth. And you didn't want to go there. Amen. I mean, it's hot outside now. But can you imagine what hell is going to be like? I don't want to go to hell. But but the devil has a design. He's designed something for your life. And whether you believe this or not, you need to listen to me because that design is to steal from you. That design is to kill you. That design is to destroy you any way possible that he can. That's what he wants to do in your life. And there's an alarming, when you look about it, and the reason I want to talk about this tonight because we live in a day and time, our culture that we live in, we live in a day where we, we are living in a, in a complacent world. Now, I want that just to sink in just a little bit. And I'm talking to the church. The church today is in complacency. The church is sleeping, if you will, today. And we live in this culture. We believe in Jesus. We, we have no problem believing in him. We have no problem understanding that he's coming back. And, and, but there's an urgency that we ought to have that I wonder sometimes if we have it or not. We live in a state of complacency among God's people today. And we serve God from a standpoint that, that we no longer have to fear 
This is what we think. We no longer have to fear what the devil wants to do to us, no matter who you are, but you need to understand the devil's design is to kill you. It's to steal from you. It's to destroy from you. Have you ever felt like the devil was after you? Yeah, we all have. If we're, if we're God's people, we, we've sensed that before. But he is after us. And the devil wants to rob not only you as adults tonight, but he wants to rob our young people of their, of their innocence. He's trying to steal our children away from us. And he, he, he works to destroy our marriages. And on and on we could go by listing all the things that the enemy wants to take from God's people. But how many of you know there's, there's a reason that we do what we do? There's a reason that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that reason is that you and I, we can have victory in spite of all of these things, that we have power over the enemy tonight. We have victory, and we win in the end. Amen. We don't lose. We win in the end. Hallelujah. But you understand that the very moment that we are lulled into that sense of complacency, thinking that you've gone too far for the devil to get you. You better be careful because that's when you're on dangerous ground. That's, you, that's when you're on dangerous ground. Whenever you get to that place in life that, that you think that, that you've arrived, that you no longer have to struggle, that you no longer have to battle in the fight that you're in, are you aware that as God's people tonight that we are still in a war? We are still in battle tonight. We still have to put on the whole armor of God. We still have to, have to withstand those fiery darts of the enemy. We're, we're, and we'll be in, in war until we hear Jesus Christ say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. And, but we, sometimes we feel like that we, we don't have to struggle anymore. We don't have to battle anymore. We don't have to be in conflict with the devil. Because when we get that way, we're on dangerous ground. Because here's, here's the key tonight. The devil never gives up. He never gives up. You might knock him down, but he's going to get back up again. You say, Pastor, why, why are you giving him so much credit? That's just what he does. But we are victorious tonight. We have authority over the enemy tonight. We're victorious over the enemy as God's people. Amen. So I want to talk to you in a little bit tonight about this, that God has a plan for our life. God has a plan for our life. I like this part of this verse. In verse number 10, it says, I am come. The devil's come to steal from you and to rob from you and to kill you and destroy you and all these things. But the Lord says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You understand tonight that Jesus' desire for you and I is that we might have life and have it that more abundant life. Now when we say that, sometimes we get to thinking that an abundant life means the kind of house that we live in. That abundant life means the kind of automobile that we drive. That, uh, that abundant life means what we've got in the bank account. And that abundant life means is that if everything is going our way. But that's not what the scripture is talking about, Brother Larry. That's not what he's talking about. We understand that he was talking about having the kind of relationship with him that when everything around us is on sinking sand, on Jesus Christ we know he's the rock on which we stand. When everything around us may be falling off by the wayside, we stand tonight because we have an anchor that we we can hold on to. I'm not just out here drifting away somewhere, and you're not just out here drifting ashore tonight, but we've got an anchor of the soul that when we find ourselves in trouble, that when we find our friends in trouble, and we find our family in, in torment, that we've got an anchor that we can hold on to, and that anchor is Jesus Christ. There is a reason tonight. There is a cause tonight. We are in the victorious winning streak tonight. It's just about over. We don't need to get 
give up. Listen to me, church. There's been too many people to give up on days gone by. There's been too many ministries lost in days gone by. There's been too many pastors that's left the pulpit. We don't need to give up. Our time is almost here. Jesus Christ is fixing to come back. He's coming back after a church that's ready to go. Amen. Hallelujah. You say, Pastor, you, make, you talk about that all the time. We ought we, we are, we are not ever let that get old. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Someone may say, but you don't understand where I live. Someone may say, well, you don't understand where I work. Someone may say, well, you don't understand the relationship I've got with my husband or, or I've got with my wife, and you don't understand the difficulty I may be having with my kids and my children. Listen, listen to me. It's not a matter of where you live. It's not a matter of where you work and what kind of relationship. It matters if your relationship is in Jesus Christ because if your relationship is intact with the Lord Jesus Christ, everything is going to be all right. Hallelujah. Everything is going to be all right. There's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 17, a real familiar story about a young guy by the name of David. And I want you to notice some things in this, in this chapter. I'm not going to go back and read all the verses of this chapter. It's, a, it's a, a familiar story that you already know. But there's three things in the story about David that, that I believe that will help us with the, uh, to have this abundant life, this more abundant life that the Scripture is talking about in Christ that he wants us to have. The first thing I want you to notice in this chapter, the Lord talks about David was anointed. He was anointed, and we'll talk a little bit about that. The second thing he talks about in this 1 Samuel 17 is about God's will upon David's life. David had a direction. David had a plan for his life. Or let me say this, God had a plan for David's life. And while I'm speaking about that, understand that you as well are anointed of God tonight. You as well, God has a plan for your life as well tonight. And the third thing is this, is God planned out already in advance, Sister Mavis, a victory for old brother David. Now when I say this, I, I, I hope you're getting this tonight. Because not only are you anointed, and not only does God have a, has a plan and a will for your life, do you understand in the midst of everything that you may be going through, God has already planned victory in your life. He's already planned that you're going to win the battle. We've got reason to shout. We've got reason to rejoice tonight because God is on my side. I will not fail. I'm not going under. I'm not going to be buried. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at this, in chapter 16, we know that God spoke to Samuel. And he told Samuel, hey, Samuel, I want you to go anoint, anoint a new king. And I don't have time to go back and deal with Saul and all of that, but you know that story. I want you to go and anoint a new king in Israel. And so he came to Jesse's house. And Jesse brought all the boys out to, to be anointed and, and for Samuel to check these guys out. I mean, they were good-looking guys. They were tall guys. I mean, Brother Larry, as far as looks could see, I mean, these would be the ideal king of Israel. And all of these boys and brothers was brought before Samuel, but nobody was anointed. And Samuel said to Jesse, hey, is there anybody else? Is there anybody that you forgot about? He said, well, we've only we've got one more brother, but, but he's out in the field. He, he's tending the sheep. And they went and got little David, this little teenage boy, if you will, this little uh, ruddy face or ruddy face or however you say that word, face boy. And he came in and, and God told Samuel, he is the one. 
aren't you thankful? Boy, this, this helps me a whole lot. Because sometimes, you know, Brother Keith, when I go in front of the mirror, I don't look like I want to look. My, my, my physique is not like I want it to look. My, my muscles, Sister Jeanette, is not like I want it to be. Now, I know some of that may be my fault, and I just don't look the way that I think I ought to look. You know, there was a time in my mind, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm, not gonna t- I'm 54 years old, but in my mind, I still feel like I'm 25 or 22 or something like that. And we spoke a little bit this morning about even my body's not able to do those things, but in my mind. But when I look in the mirror, Sister Kathy, I don't see no 20-year-old. Amen. She was, she was getting ready to amen me there. She's caught herself, I think. <laughs> I don't see no 25-year-old. But I'm thankful that God can use those of us that don't look the part. Amen. He can use us that don't talk like we need to talk. He can use us that don't actually, you know, live up to the standard of what we feel like the standard is today. God uses us just like he finds us in our, in our rust sometimes and in our difficult times at times. He still can use us. And little David comes in and God told Samuel, that's the one. I want you to anoint him. And Samuel goes over and pours the oil over on David. Now, they just shouldn't take a little dab of do you on the face. They took a whole horn of oil, and they poured it over in a barrel, if you will, over David, and it run down on his face. It run down on his shoulders. It run down on his garments. It run down on his legs, and it run down on the ground. They actually saturated this little fella to be anointed as the king of Israel. It ran down his garments all the way to the ground. Understand something, church. Don't miss this. In that anointing, there was a sweet smelling savor that went forth from the anointing. Matter of fact, the word of God tells us, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David that very day forward. That very hour, the spirit, the anointing of God fell upon David. Understand, tomorrow he was not king. Next week he was still not king. The next year he was still not king. But he was still anointed as king king of Israel. And from that time forth, when he was just a little teenage guy, the anointing of God came upon him. And no matter where David went, he carried the anointing of God with him. Listen to me, church. When God anoints you, you don't have to leave this place and walk out from underneath the anointing. Hallelujah. But when you leave this place, you carry the anointing of Almighty God with you wherever you go. Why? Because you're his child. He saw enough worth in you that he died for you. He saw enough worth in you that he hung on the cross for you. He saw something in you that he bled his last drop of blood for you. Hallelujah. And if we ain't careful, we begin to take those things for granted in our complacency. Oh, pastor, we talk about that all the time. We know that all the time. Tell you something, Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. We have a reason to serve him. We've got a cause to give him glory. In spite of everything that we're going through. Mm. I hope we're hearing this. There is a reason. There's a reason. When difficult situations or circumstances come in our life, you've got to realize that you are the anointed of God. Matter of fact, Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and 16, he says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth what? Fruit. And that your fruit should remain. 
that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, that he may give it to you. Whatever you ask in his name, he may give it to you. See, it's easy to realize that you're anointed of God when, you, when you're in a good worship service. Come on. It's easy for me to realize I'm anointed of God when things is going my way. Let's just get to where we are on this Sunday night. It's easy for me to want, want, feel like I'm, I'm anointed of God when the, when the, when the crowd is worshiping like, I, like, like they need to worship. Hello? It's easy for me to understand that we're anointed of God when everything is clicking. All the songs is clicking. Everything is clicking. The sermon is clicking. Everything, the, the atmosphere is just right. It's easy for you to realize that we're anointed of God. And we'll praise God and we'll say that we're anointed of God. But the next morning, you still got to get out of bed. The next morning, you still got to get out of bed. But can I tell you, when you get out of bed the next morning, you are still the anointed of God. When you go to work, you're still the anointed of God. It does not matter where you go. It does not matter. You are still the anointed of Almighty God. It's time for you and I to get up on our feet and square our shoulders and look the enemy in the eye and say, Devil, understand this. I am the anointed of Almighty God. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by his spirit says the Lord hallelujah hallelujah David was God's anointed you know the story they was in war with Philistines Goliath come on the scene this big guy challenging Israel three of David's brothers was drafted to go and fight for King Saul one day David's father came and said I want you to go and take these provisions to your brothers and their commander, get some bread and get some corn and get some cheese. I want you to run down there and see how things is going. Take them. Take them to your brothers and, and see how they're doing. So David started out, and you know the story, started out toward his brothers. And finally he gets to the valley where the armies of God and the armies of the Philistines were fighting him. And David was so excited to think that, hey, I'm going to get to see the armies of God defeat this enemy. But when he got there, all he heard was this loud mouth Philistine challenging the children of Israel. Challenging the, chil the children of Israel. When you look, the Bible talks about this guy being some 9, 10, 11 feet tall. He was a big guy. He was a big guy. And Goliath stepped out of, from, a, from, the, from the Philistines' battle lines and he challenged them. And we look in 1 Samuel 17, verse number 8, the Bible says, Why are you come out and set your battle in array? Am Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man, he said, for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and if I kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And can you understand that when little David understood and he heard that I defy the army, there just something went all over him. And let me stop here long enough just to tell you this. Sometimes there's things that goes on around us that comes against our God and it doesn't bother us anymore. I'm not saying we got to be ugly. I'm not saying we got to be rude. And I know we live in a day and time that you got to be careful what to say, when to say it. Hello. You don't know what somebody's going to do. They're stressed out. They're mentally stressed out. They're mentally incapable sometimes of handling what they're going through. And we do have to be careful. 
There are times we've got to be careful of what we're doing. But the church, I'm talking about the church that, that it doesn't bother us anymore like it needs to. Things that we watch on television doesn't bother us like it used to 10 and 20 years ago. Things that we listen to and we, 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 we let come into our hearts and our eyes and our homes doesn't bother us anymore. Doesn't make us squirm anymore. I don't have time to go down this road right here. It's going on in my mind. And they come to David and David basically said, well, what are we going to do? Well, who, who, who's going to go out and fight this guy? I mean, he wanted to do something. I mean, you've got to give it to this young guy. He had enough tenacity in him. He wanted to do something, right or wrong, brother Adam. He wanted to do something to fight this guy. They come out and defied the armies of Israel. What are we going to do? Who's going to go out and fight against him? And David was probably looking around the army to see which one, which one of these guys, which one of his brothers maybe, which one of the king's chosen army guys, these powerful men, to go out and fight this Goliath. David's older brother looked at him and said something like this. Hey, 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 little, little guy, what are you doing here? What, what do you've got in your basket? I don't know exactly what he said. I'm just paraphrasing here. Who's taking care of those, those few little old sheep that's back there that you used to take care of? That's your responsibility. Why are you here? We're men of war. We're in the right place tonight. You could hear David's thought going, well, what are you doing behind this rock then? What are you doing running from this loudmouth Goliath then? Have you ever noticed that, that when you get enough spiritual courage to do something, there's always those that are standing around saying things like this. What makes you think you can do what God told you to do? You ever notice that? They may not say it in those particular words, but the look on their face and their body language and maybe even their words. What makes you think you can go and do what I couldn't do? You say, Pastor, does that happen in the church? Yeah, it happens all the time. All the time. Instead of lifting up one another and encouraging one another and locking arms with one another, sometimes we find ourselves in competition with one another. With churches here and across town and over here, they're doing this and we're not doing this and this helped. You know, you know what I'm talking about? We're, we're not in competition with one another. There's enough of sinners out there for every one of us. We know them. And it's our job to go and witness to them and tell them the good news. What makes you think you can do that? There's always those who want to put you down. And the men began to question David's motives when he made those kind of statements. Matter of fact, in the scripture, it talked about Eliab. David's brother said, I know your pride. I know the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art, not, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle in verse number 28. See, it's bad enough to be intimidated by people in the world, but when you, when you decide to do something for God, there's also people within the church that will intimidate you as well. There's also family that'll intimidate you as well. There's also those that says, there's no way you can do that. No way. Years ago, and I gotta be careful here. Years ago, I was getting ready to step into another level of ministry. And I had somebody that was a member of this church that worked at this church that came to me and said, there's no way you're gonna be able to do that. I says, well, that's what I feel like God's called me to do. And they said again, there's no way that you'll ever. I've not been able. If I can't do it, you can't do it. Now, I didn't say this to them, but what I wanted to say was maybe God didn't call you to it. That may be why you couldn't accomplish it. Not in an ugly way, not in a mean way, but it could have happened. And it could be that, 
some of the, some of the, the problems that we're going through and the, and the stress that we may be involved in in the house of God, maybe we're involved in things that God never called us to. Listen, some of you, some of you can't sing. You don't need to be on the praise team. I'm not meaning that in a, in a bad way. You just can't carry a tune. It's hard to listen to you. Not meaning that ugly. Is that okay? You're not gifted there. But there's other areas that God has gifted you greatly with. And God wants you to excel in those things. Oh yeah, we can all make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I get that. But you don't need to get up here and sing harmony with somebody. Because it'll wear them out. There's some of you, like myself, I, I tell some of these guys all the time, I said, you know, let me play the drums. I can play drums. I can't either. I know that. I might get hit and keep a beat, maybe, maybe, but I can't play drums. I would love to get over here on the keyboard and, and play the keys like, like Brother Tim Hill. He aggravates the stew out of me. That boy can preach and sing and play and do all kinds of stuff. He was gifted. But I've not been gifted in, the, in piano playing. I, I, I get a little aggravated sometimes with guys that, and women that has never had a lesson, but yet they're just born with this talent. You think that just comes by just because? Uh-uh. That was a God-given thing. God-given. This is not in my notes, but let me stop here and just let, let, me, let me help some of you. We sometimes we preach about in the Scriptures about God being against homosexuality, and He is. We know what the scripture says about that, but have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed there's a lot of homosexuals in our land today, how gifted they are? Have you ever noticed how gifted, whether musically or putting things together? Do you understand that the enemy has come in and robbed them of their talents and their giftings, being able not to be used of God? And, and for us as a church to condemn sometimes, and yes, it's wrong, and yes, it's against the scripture, but we need to love them to Christ. So they can be allowed to use their giftings in the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But David said, we've got to do something. There's a cause. There's a reason here. We can't allow this loudmouthed Philistine to, to defy the armies of God. We can't allow this guy to come out and, and, just, and just challenge us and, and talk about our God and us do nothing. We've got to do something. And David told his brother that is they're not a cause. In other words, is there not a reason to be angry at this guy? Is there not a reason for us to get upset at what he is doing? Is there not a reason for us to go out and fight against this great giant Goliath? David was first of all, he was God's anointed. He didn't forget about that day. I promise you, night after night, Brother Larry, he remembered when old Brother Samuel come and poured the oil. He may not have understood everything that was going to take place in the future, but he understood something about the anointing of God. Hallelujah. David saw the enemy defying the armies of God, and he got angry. we got to do something. Somebody's got to fight. Somebody's got to show him that he can't defy the enemies of God. Somebody's got to show him he cannot defy the God of Israel. We get to the second point about the will of God upon David's life. I believe with all of my heart it's time for the people of God to get a spiritual, if you want to look at it this way, a, a spiritual anger against the enemy. You understand what I'm trying to say? A spiritual anger against the enemy of God. 
We need to stand up and stop him in his tracks. Sometimes we just let him do with us whatever, we want, whatever he wants to do. Uh-uh. We need to stop him in his tracks. We need to develop a spiritual anger of the enemy. Not at one another. We're not fighting one another. But we're fighting the enemy. Our fight is not with one another. It's, it's not with flesh and blood. It's with the principalities of the air. It's against the old enemy, the slew foot. It's time for us to get angry sometimes when millions and millions of babies have been aborted. What's, what's interesting about these things, and I don't have time to stop here, but let me, what's interesting about this is you've got a lot of the, the, the political party that's screaming all the time about raising taxes, and yet they'll kill men and women that could pay taxes. And it doesn't work that way. And God is not pleased with that. We ought to get angry about the drugs that's, that's overtaking our streets in America today. When we was in Seattle the other day, we was walking down the streets of Seattle and on every corner, every corner there were homeless people. Every corner that we walked, and we walked down several corners, there were homeless people that was begging and those you could tell that was on drugs, that was high. Every place that we walked, there was men and women that was strung out. Even in Nashville over the last two days, right across the street where the Church of God General Assembly was going on, there were men and there were women that was strung out. When Jesus is right next door. Do you understand me, church? We ought to have a spiritual anger to take place over us. See, it's easy to talk. It's easy, but it's time for you and I to act. Being angry at Goliath for defying God is not enough. We've got to get up and, def- and fight him in our day and time. There's a Goliath in your life. You know what it is and you know who it is. But are you fighting that Goliath? Are you fighting that spiritual being? But it's time for you and I to get a, have a spiritual anger to come and defeat that old Goliath in our life. David, I don't know how he done this, but David finally got the attention of the king, of King Saul. And David basically told the king, said, hey, nobody else is going to fight, I'll go fight him. Everybody else is running away. When they hear him, they, they get scared. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go out and I'll, I'll fight this guy for you. I'll go fight. And in verse 33, when you look in that chapter there, Saul says, but you're just a youth. And this guy, he's, he's a man of war from his youth. He's got years and years of experience, and you're just a little fella. What are you going to do? And David's attitude, well, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. And the church needs to be careful that it, that it does not get lulled into this sense of complacency in these, these last days that we're living, letting somebody else do what needs to be done for Almighty God. But I believe it's time for, for the people of God to be willing to do what God has instructed them to do. Everybody in this place tonight, everyone has a work for God to do. Amen. We've got a work for God to do. And Saul finally said, well, if you're going to go, you know the story, then take my armor. Take my armor. If you're going to go and fight him, then take my armor. And So the Bible says this when, that when Saul was chosen to be king, the Bible said he was heading and shoulders taller than any other men of Israel of that day. David put on his armor and it didn't fit. He said, I can't go out like this. I can't go out and fight Goliath like this. I, and he basically said this in the scriptures, that I have not proved them. You think about that. I've not proved them. 
My armor is not going to fit yours. Your armor is not going to fit me. But God has given you armor to put on. Amen. He's given you a, a word of God. He's given you the helmet. He's given you the, the sword of the Spirit. He's given you those things for you to take on your life. Amen. I can't fight the enemy with somebody else's armor. I've got to fight the enemy with what I know works. I've got to fight the enemy with what I know is right. I've got to fight the enemy with what I know is good. There's a lot of people today that want you to fight the enemy using their own armor, using their battle gear. And what has brought the church thus far is what's going to continue to carry the church until the very end. And that's the word of Almighty God. We live in a day where we, we try all kind of new things in church. We'll try this and we'll try that. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with trying things within the body of Christ. Matter of fact, we, we, we need to try some new things in this church that we'll be talking about later on. Nothing wrong with that. But if we change instead of going back to the Word of God. Matter of fact, the other day I heard, I heard about this particular church that, was, uh, that, that financially they couldn't make it. And the pastor got up and said, we're fixing to change everything. We can't make it financially, and so we're going to stop using the Word of God. When you come to church, we're going to preach encouraging things. We're going to preach those things that would excite you and motivate you. We're going to do things in the body of Christ that's, that's going to, that's going to itch, itch your ears a little bit, and, and you're going to be tickled by it, in, in other words. We're going to bring in concert people and comedians and all this, that, that people listen entertainment, basically. And that's how we're going to continue to grow and be financially stable. I'm going to tell you, if we ever get to the place like that, I'm not bringing entertainment people in. We'll shut the doors. And we'll go find somewhere we, where God is moving. Amen? Is that all right? We can't take the Word of God out of, our, out of our church. We can't take what works out of our church. We can't take prayer out of our church and substitute it. I don't care if people is not listening to it. I don't care if people says it's not a new thing. It's not the fad. It's not the, the, the latest and greatest thing. It's still the best thing. Amen? The Word of God will take us. The truth will take us. Amen. Well, these other things will not take us. Hallelujah. I've got to use what is proven. And God already had victory planned for David. He already knew what the end result of this thing was going to be. David walked across that valley, and there old Goliath was, standing proud and tall. Goliath, in verse 42, he basically said in the Scripture, well, he hated David for coming out against him. He said, am I a dog? that you would send this boy to fight against me? I'm a man of war, and you sent a boy out here to fight me? I'm a man of war. I'm going to feed you to the birds, he said. But I love this next scripture when David, he didn't, that, that didn't bother him. That didn't, that didn't scare him off. That didn't, him, that didn't make him shake a little bit and get him nervous a little bit. He looked at, old, at, at, at David. He looked at Goliath in verse 43 and verse 44, and David cried out, This day! I love those two words. Matter of fact, just say it with me. This day! Think about the giant and Goliath maybe in your life. This day, that's what we need to tell him. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand and I will smite thee and I'll take thy head from thee. I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Hallelujah. This day, not tomorrow, not next week. I'm not going to sit around here and wait for you to to go to sleep and me to sneak up on you. I'm coming at you face to face, battle to battle, and this day, yeah. whoo, 
The Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. Hallelujah. David, he's out there talking, but can you, can you imagine where the, where the children of Israel was, the army? They were hiding. And you can almost hear some of them say, oh, boy, David's going to get it now. David is fixing to get ripped up now. There is no way this little guy can, 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 can defeat this, this, this Goliath. He don't know what he's talking about. His brothers need to go and rescue him. They need to send him back to the other. There's no way. Don't you, love, don't you love how God works? When God seems to take nothing <laughs> and create something out of it. When God seems to take those, those situations that seem impossible, Brother Ronnie, and, and he makes it possible. God, God just comes on the scene, and when we feel like that there's nothing that can be done, God shows up, and everything is accomplished. Everything is taken care of. Hallelujah. David took a stone out. You know the story. Put it in his sling. He slung that sling and that stone, that rock, whatever it was, fell into the enemy's forehead, Goliath's forehead. And the Bible says he fell to the ground. And the, and, and the children of Israel, you can say, well, the boys got him knocked down. And you can almost see them peeking up out of the, behind the rock. We, we, we might need to go out there and help this, this, this guy. He's, he's got this man down on the ground. He's got him on the ground. But David went up. And the Bible says, got the, got the sword and cut his head off. And held the head up. And at that time, the children of Israel, that army that was scared, that army that was defeated, boy, they come alive. And they took out after the Philistines. And, the, and you know the rest of the story there. But they had to have a reason. They had to have a cause. And I'm coming to tell you tonight, church, I don't know what you may be going through tonight, but we still have a reason to serve Almighty God. I don't care if things is not going like you want it to go. I don't care if things is not going the way that you plan. But there's still a cause. There's still a reason for us to lift up the name of Jesus Almighty High. There's still a reason for me to get up every day and say, thank God Almighty, you're with me. You're not against me. There's still a reason for me to look toward the eastern skies. There's still a reason for me to tune my ear in to listen to the trumpet sound. There's still a reason for me to hear and know. And when he says, well done, there's still a reason. There's still a reason. Are you ready? Are you ready to go should he come? The devil's design is to steal from you. The devil's design is to kill you. The devil, devil's design is to destroy you. He wants to ruin you. But you can have victory tonight, the same as David did, when you trust in him. Musicians, if you will, come. What do you think about this tonight as we close? Many of us have come to church time and time again. We've listened to the man of God preach. We've watched the Spirit of God move. And even by faith, there's been times that we've reached out and got a hold of the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. We've even knocked the giant down often. But the problem that we have sometimes, Brother Larry, we don't ever go up and cut his head off. We just let him lay there. Now, I don't know about you, and, and I've talked a little bit about this before in the past, but I don't like snakes. I don't care what kind they are. I just don't like them. I've heard people say, well, that's, that, that's a grass snake or that's a king snake they're good they eat bugs and frogs well let them eat them on their own time not around me i don't like them don't like them 
And if I see one, and if I can get a hoe or a shovel or a stick or something, I'm going to kill it. It could be this little or that big. I don't care. I just don't like them. You know, some folks say those, those little snakes like that, they can be just as poisonous as the big ones if, if they're a poisonous snake. Their bite can, can kill you just as, just as much as, a, as, a, as an adult. I don't like them. I'll kill them. I'll kill them. But there's one thing I've noticed about snakes. If you, if you chop a tail off of a snake, the head still moves. I've even noticed this, that when I've cut the head off of a snake, sometimes the mouth of the snake will still come open. And if you can get close enough to it, I promise you it'll latch on to you because the nervous system in that, in that head, I don't like it. Me and Dad was at Mississippi several years ago. I don't know if Dad will remember this. And we was going hunting. We was going to my aunt's and, and across the, the, uh, the, the gravel road there, there was a long, it had, to be, it had to be as long from here to here, rattlesnake that was just laying across the road that we run over. I said, run over it. I want to get it. I want to make a hat band around with the diamonds of his, of his skin. I'm going to skin this snake. You know, I had this bright idea. So we run over it. We got out there and we, we killed it. And we picked it up. I don't know what we had to pick it up, a shovel or something you had in the back of your truck. Do you remember this? And we threw it in the back of the truck. And we just forgot about it. We went on hunting. And when we come back to the house at, at lunch, we, got, we, we saw the snake in the back of the truck. We put it out. Do you understand that snake was still moving after that much time? And do you understand that when we stuck something down there, he still struck at us, even though we thought he was dead. And I went and found an axe. And I pulled that snake's head over a stump and I chopped that joker's head off because I didn't want it to bother me. Not only did I chop his head off, I got a shovel, Sister Mavis, and I picked the head up and I took it out in the woods and buried the thing because I didn't want to walk out there later on two days from then and get bit by the head of the stupid snake that we had killed. And I won't tell you the rest of the story. Oh, yeah, well, I'll go ahead and tell you just so you know. I skint that snake. It was a female that had all kind of eggs in that snake. The snake was so wide, I couldn't, it was too wide for me to fit it and dry it out, Brother Roger, fit around my hat I wanted to put around it. And I ended up, I think I gave it to Sister Diane Miller. She likes that kind of, so I just gave it to her after several years of just sitting in the garage. But the enemy, there's an old story I read. You may have read this before. Old story I've read about this little girl walking through the woods one day. And she came up on a poisonous snake. And it was in the wintertime, and the snake was cold, and the snake began to talk to the girl. You ever heard this story before? And the snake said, oh, little girl, would you please take me with you? I'm cold out here in this, this cold weather. You'll just put me in your, in your basket and take me to your house and let me warm up by the fire. I, I won't bother you. And the little girl said, Mr. Snake, said, you're a poisonous snake. I'm not going to pick you up because you'll bite me. You'll hurt me. And the snake said, I'm not going to do that. I'm so cold. It's so frigid out here. I, if you'll just do what I ask you to do. Understood. She knew what it was. If you'll just do what I ask you to do, I won't, I won't bother you. Just, just take me to where you're going and set me by the fire and allow me to warm up. But Mr. Snake, I, my mama and my daddy's told me I'm not supposed to touch you. I'm not supposed to grab a hold of you. I'm not supposed to even get near you because of your dangerous. Little girl, I promise you, and after a while, the snake 
talked the little girl into picking him up, putting him in her a basket and her taking the snake home and put the snake out by the fire. And as the story goes, after a little while when the snake began to warm up, the snake done what any poisonous snake will do. He bit the little girl. I want you to notice something tonight. Sometimes you and I as God's people, we know what the Word says. We know what it tells us to stay away from. We know where it tells us to go and where it tells us not to go. We understand the guidelines that the Lord has set forth in this Word. And yet we'll play with the enemy. We will. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. In churches all across America tonight, many of the people that are sitting in the pews are playing with the enemy. Pastors preaching sermons, playing with the enemy. You say, Brother Danny, well, I, don't, I, I hope you understand what I'm fixing to say. I think Roger and I, we was talking about this and we was talking about the things that I, we saw in Seattle and, and all, the, all the different kinds of people. And when you go to those, some of those big cities like Nashville or Seattle or Atlanta and you get down on the inner circles of those cities, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You see all kinds of things going on. And it's as if nobody knows God anymore. You and I tonight, we are living a sheltered life. I promise you we are. I promise you we are. You want to get out there on skid row and see really what's going on in America? You, there's places you can go to do that. And you can understand the trauma and the problems that people are going through today. We live in a sheltered life in this little community, even though we have problems ourselves, but we're sheltered. I want to tell you, there's another place we need to be sheltered, and that's the arms of God. Don't get complacent in your walk with God. Don't be like the children of Israel hiding behind a rock somewhere thinking that the enemy's too big for you. Uh-uh. Get the spirit of little David. And you stand up and you square your shoulders and you talk to the enemy. Hey, enemy, this day, God's going to give you to me. This day, I will kill you. This day, I'll destroy you. Amen. We can see our giants defeated. They may be giants of forgiveness, unforgiveness. They may be giants of bitterness. There may be giants of rebellion in our life or sickness. Because God, I believe, with all of my heart, wants to kill those giants in your life tonight. Amen. He does. He wants to kill those giants in your life. And you may say, well, you still don't understand. You don't know, Pastor, how big my giant is. Can I, can I tell you something tonight? It don't matter how big the giant is in your life. The bigger the giant, the greater the victory that God has got planned for you. And you'll be stepping back and you'll look and you say, God, I don't understand how. But it was you. You can't take credit for it. It was him. I don't understand, God, how you done it. But it was you. And you'll have to give glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you one more time, there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a cause for you and I to serve the Lord Jesus Christ better than we ever have before. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Get on fire for Him. Let something be stirred on the inside of you and your walk and your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ.
Don't just sit and do idle things. You may do some good things, but you're not on fire for God. You may, like I said this morning, you may understand the God of yesterday, but you've not understood the God of today. You may not have a relationship with the God of today. He wants to move in your life as never before. And our responsibility, I can get up here and preach. Brother Cup can get up here and preach. Pastor LV can get up here and preach. And others can get up here and preach and tell you all day long. But it's up to you and I to get a hold of it and run with it. Amen. It's up to us to decide I'm going forward. I'm going forward. I'm going forward. Hallelujah. Would you stand tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you tonight for your many blessings. I thank you, God, because in you there's hope. In you there's life. In you there's victory tonight, oh God. In you we have a foundation we can stand upon. In you tonight, Father, we have a reason. We have a cause to serve you. And to lift you up. To glorify you. And Lord, I'm asking right now, in this moment, the individuals, the men and women, the boys and girls, the young people, that are here tonight, that's wrestling, that's battling, that may feel like that they're hiding behind a rock because they don't want to get out and face the giant in their life. I'm asking you, Father, to right now come upon them. Let a spirit of authority come upon them tonight in the name of Jesus. Let a a spirit of victorious being in victory come upon them tonight. Energize them, O God, in their spirit. Let them be enthused tonight because they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have already planned the victory in the name of Jesus. And let us be on fire for you. In Jesus' name. I'd like for everybody that will, if you'd come to the altar tonight as they get ready to sing, I just want you to give God glory and give Him praise. If you're one of these ones that I've talked about that feels like you're hiding or feels like that you're down and out and God's not on your side, I want you just to step forth. And as you step forth tonight, understand that God has already planned the victory in your life. Take Him at His word. Take him at his word tonight. Take him at his word tonight in the name of Jesus.